Welcome to Cannabis Science Today. This is the podcast where we explore cannabis as a plant and how it can be used as medicine. My name is Emily Feda, and I will be your guide as we converse with scientists, physicians, and clinicians about cannabis and other psychedelics. We are back for season three, and the show is continuing to evolve. I really believe in taking a holistic approach to understanding cannabis and psychedelic medicine, and all of the elements matter. Everything from the soil and the pesticides used to cultivate plants, to how these medicines affect our body chemistry, to the set and setting in which we use and integrate this medicine and these experiences. I've been listening to your feedback, and in this upcoming season, we're still going to be digging into the chemistry and biology of these plants, but we're also going to be spending more time exploring the psychological realm so we can better understand how these medicines affect our brain and our behavior. So stay tuned. I really hope this season pushes the edges of how we understand cannabis and psychedelic medicine. As always, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on Instagram, cannabis underscore science underscore today. Um, Also, I'd love to hear from you via a five-star review on iTunes if you're enjoying the show. And finally, if you have any guest suggestions or you just want to say hi, you can email me, cannabisciencetoday at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'm so excited to share this upcoming season with you. Today, we are featuring Dr. Eric Lees, an assistant professor at the School of Public Health at UC San Diego. His expertise is in drug policy and research methodology, and he recently published a paper called Public Interest in Delta-8 THC Increased in U.S. States that Restricted Delta-9 THC. You're probably already familiar with Delta-9 THC, which is the primary cannabinoid in the cannabis plant that is known for its psychoactive effects. In this episode, we discuss the differences between Delta-9 and Delta-8 THC and a loophole in the farm bill that has led to a growing, unregulated market for Delta-8 THC. We discuss the risks associated with this market, and Dr. Lee shares some ideas on revisiting regulations at the federal and state level to protect consumers. So, Eric, before before we get started, first of all, I really appreciate you you joining us for this episode of Cannabis Science Today. And the inspiration for this actually came um, because I have a friend who lives in a state where cannabis is not legal. And she called me in a panic one night and she was like, ah, I took an edible. I've been high for 48 hours. <laughs> what do I do? I'm having this terrible trip. I feel awful. And oh, wow. she's, she sent me, um, she sent me a picture of the packaging and it said Delta eight. Uh-huh. And, and, you know, I've been in the industry for many years, but I was just probably one of the thousands, if not millions of people who that night was Googling Delta eight. <laughs> I was like, what's going on with this? So, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's super interesting and timely topic. So I would love to first establish what is Delta-8. And I know you have a background in public health. So I'd love to hear more about um, when you started hearing about it and what kind of piqued your interest in it and prompted this research study. Sure. Yeah. So Delta-8 is a type of THC. Um, so when we, we sometimes use the word THC, and think it's one chemical compound, Um, but really it's a group of compounds and Delta-8 THC is one of those compounds. The one that we normally refer to when we say THC is Delta-9 THC, which 
is the main active um, or main compound that produces a psychoactive effect in a normal cannabis strain. Um, that, and yeah, that naturally occurs in cannabis. Uh, so Delta eight does also naturally occur in cannabis, but it, it's usually um, occurs in a, a too small of amount to um, be that meaningful for most strains. Although there's a few companies who are trying to kind of produce um, produce strains that have higher yields of Delta eight. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a type of THC. Um, so, but, so it does naturally occur, but the main way that we're getting it in substances on, in products on the market is through a conversion process that is kind of semi-synthetic. Um, and the way that that occurs is by extracting CBD from from a cannabis plant or a hemp plant. And we could get into the, the differences in definitions there, um, but taking a CBD molecule out and then converting it to THCs. And there's a couple ways of doing that. And there's a couple patents that are out for methods that, that convert CBDs to THCs. Um, so the main products on the market are these are made by this conversion method um, that gets gets THCs from CBDs. Um, now, the reason we started exploring this is we have been, you know, following the hemp industry. Um, I work in public health, and I help um, kind of regulators come up with with good good policies on consumer products. Um, most of my work has been helping tobacco regulators, but have more recently got, a, got into cannabis regulation um, over the past five to seven years or so. And we've done a number of studies kind of helping track how people are using CBD. Um, and then within the last few years, we've seen kind of an emergence of these other products that can be extracted from hemp um, in addition to CBD and have noticed, noticed an uptick in, in the number of manufacturers that started selling this Delta-8 product. So we, we're, we've done a couple of studies tracking um, how people are using it, where, the, where it seems like demand is highest across the U.S., Mm -hmm. And why do you think there is this expanding unregulated market for, for this compound? Well, there's a couple of sides to that of how to answer that question. Um, in terms of a legal reason, um, a lot of these products exist in the way that they do because of a change in how regulators have defined marijuana as which is the language they use in the in the in controlled substance um, laws and in 2018 Cong US Congress changed the definition of marijuana to 
also allow for a definition that for for hemp, which it defined as cannabis and cannabis derivatives with less than 0.3% delta 9 THC. Um, so that allowed... And manuf- sorry, sorry, Go ahead. sorry to interrupt, but I just want to confirm. So that was the language from the farm bill. That's and, right. That's right. So in the farm bill, I think the hemp part that was originally passed in, in 2014. 2018 was the main change. 2018. Okay. And that was so when they actually wrote that legislation, it defined industrial hemp. It really specified that it was this delta nine THC compound. Right. And it, it excluded Delta-8 entirely. It did not mention Delta-8. And um, so some manufacturers have interpreted that as implying that if you can produce Delta-8 from derivatives of hemp, then it's legal with air quotes right. <laughs> <laughs> to sell these other THC moieties, as we call them. Um, so long as they contain a compliant amount of Delta nine THC, although there is, there was a promulgation by the DEA who still has the federal regulatory authority for cannabis that saying any, basically they said that any process that produces Delta nine as a byproduct, they consider as not compliant with the definition of hemp. Um, so it technically it's not federally legal. These processes aren't federally legal because most of them produce as a byproduct Delta nine, a, a synthetic version of Delta nine that results in the byproduct that can either not be extracted and just mislabeled as Delta THC or isolated out from the byproduct of the conversions. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it sounds like just to, to recap, historically, um, whenever people have been talking about THC, they've usually been referring to this Delta-9 compound that's found in, in cannabis plants. That's correct. Uh, and um, so I, I'm guess, I guess I'm just wondering historically, and you've said that Delta-8, the Delta-8 compound has always been in cannabis, but in these small trace amounts. Um, mm-hmm. but, but did people... What was kind of the historical knowledge of this? Was this always known? Were people always aware that the Delta-8 compound was very similar to the Delta-9 compound and, um, you know, could potentially produce these psychoactive effects? Was that always, I don't want to say always, but that has been historical knowledge or is that more of a recent discovery? Yeah, the specific molecule was isolated a long time ago, I think in the 1960s. So at least in the medical and scientific community, we've known about it. But I don't, I don't imagine that there was much consumer knowledge of it. um, Just because it hasn't, there hasn't really been a reason um, to make large quantities of it and sell it. Um, until this kind of new loophole, if you will, right. opened up. Because so from what I understand, and, and please um, correct me, is that it sounds like the Delta 9 and the Delta 8, when they're studied in these medical um, clinical settings, that they're almost identical in their chemical structures. And they yeah. both, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So if you look at like the organic chemistry 
structure of the molecule, you have to look really close to see a difference. There's, it's just a difference in the positioning of one of the bonds on the molecule. So they're almost identical. Um, and for that reason, they also have similar effects on the body um, to Delta 9 THC. Um, although there is some evidence that they, it might be a slightly different effect or some people claim, you know, a, a lower, less potent effect in if you compared one to one, mm-hmm. although there's some problems with dosing that we can get into too. Um, okay. And they even attach to the same, like the CB1 receptor. That's so correct. Okay, so so they're similar. They're similar in, in chemical structures. They're similar in effects, but but it sounds like historically, growers were breeding for higher levels of delta nine, and it just made sense to produce strains that contain higher levels of that. Right, or haven't done the work to yeah to get get greater expression of delta eight. Okay. So, and then we kind of get to the present day where the farm bill is passed and now manufacturers start to to see this this loophole where they can start to process this Delta-8 compound, Mm -hmm. um, which can have psychoactive effects. And then instead of it being regulated under, um, you know, recreation or medical cannabis law, it can be regulated under the farm bill. Yes, and also state definitions of those substances, which some states say it is hemp and some states have said it's not hemp, um, including some states that allow recreational cannabis too. Um, oh, like okay. So Colorado, which for instance, says that these conversion methods, at least as they currently exist until we know more, are not compliant with their definition of hemp. So okay. you can't you can't sell the products in in the way that a lot of other states are allowing them to be sold. So in which states would you say this is kind of most rampant? Like where would you find the most Delta 8 products? The largest manufacturers of it are in the Midwest. Okay. So that's and if you look at like in that in that paper we uh, we were discussing a little bit um there is much, much more searches for these products in the States. Um, Yeah. So I think predominantly they seem to be more common in places where there's still restrictions on recreational or medicinal cannabis use. So in kind of the economics term of that is maybe an indication of an artificial demand that might go away if laws changed um, governing recreational or medicinal use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I would love to kind of dive into more, dive into that research research paper. So I know you were using um, Google Google Query Fractions as kind of a proxy to to understand this this interest in it. So yeah, could you tell us a little bit more about the the research methodology and what you studied and how you studied it? Yeah, sure. So at this point, like some of the best data we have for measuring demand is queries because we we don't have any 
like survey type research out there yet studying differences across states. So one way we can get at some sense of demand or popularity is um, Google tracks uh, the, the quantity of, of searches um, occurring in specific locations. So in this particular article, we looked at the rate at which people were querying Google for um, the terms Delta 8 or Delta 8 THC and all the different variations you might think of um, as indicative of these types of products. And what we found is that if you look across the entire globe, almost all of the queries have happened in the last decade in the United States. And within the United States, there was a rank ordering of, of queries um, that were such that queries for, the, for Delta 8 were highest in states with uh, pro prohibitions on cannabis use, either medicinally or recreationally. And as you got slowly, as you walked your way down prohibitions, or uh, regulations towards recreational use laws, you saw a drop off in queries to Google for Delta 8 products, suggesting like that notion of maybe an artificial demand like we were talking about earlier. Yeah, it's so interesting because I, I'm wondering too if people are Googling it because they're curious about it or if they're Googling it because you know they're in crisis and they took it. I guess you, yeah, have no, you have no way it, of separating that. There are ways of separating it. We didn't do that in this paper, but yeah, you might get, get you could potentially look at differences in that too. So for instance, in some of our papers, we include terms indicative of buying products. So like order Delta 8 or buy Delta 8 or Delta 8 near me could be examples of that or yeah, you could imagine other things someone might query in a panic mm -hmm. of how do I make Delta 8 stop or yeah. something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's yeah, the way I Googled it. So. It's, it's, you, you could drill down to that level of detail, but we, we didn't in this particular paper. We were kind of taking a more general term and you know measuring interest in it, in mm -hmm. the product. Um, mm -hmm. But it does indicate it does indicate and, and it's definitely a very good proxy in terms of the interest level in Delta eight in sure. states where recreational cannabis is not legal and, and also more generally, you know, an interest in an interest in the psychoactive effects of cannabis. Um, mm -hmm. So people are are seeking that out. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder kind of from doing this research, obviously, this, you know, this has so many this has so many indications when it comes to regulation and when it comes to because I, I mean I think what I imagine is the biggest issue with this substance is that it's psychoactive and um, you know the manufacturers are a step ahead of the regulators in terms of um, producing it so so it's just not regulated very effectively could you talk a little bit about kind of the effects of that and you know what sure yeah I mean, there's there's a number of different challenges I see, you know, putting my public health hat on mm -hmm. um, with the way things are being done currently. The biggest one, and 
you know, thinking back to the example of your friend is there aren't any requirement because of the way that the laws are written and the, the market that they're in, these products aren't in the systems that we've put in place for recreational cannabis use. So, and one, as if you like think about the different components of those, I mean, from an economic perspective, it's nice for those, the manufacturer because they can avoid the tax that we have on cannabis products. Um, but this, in terms of health problems, public health problems, it's, they're not subject to the testing requirements we have in the system, in these systems. So there's no testing for the potency of the product or its consistency over time, as well as no testing requirements for presence of other potentially harmful byproducts of these, these reactions that occur or um, that come down from the way that the hemp was produced. Um, so those aren't in place, you know, there's no um, dosing requirements or labeling requirements for appropriate dosing, um, which could be different than what a consumer might be used to for a, a Delta nine product, or, you know, maybe not a consumer isn't aware at all that it's a cannabis product. Um, because the standard's not there, there's really no, no way to enforce um, how things are packaged and labeled. Um, and then, you know, there's, you can order these online um, in a way that you might not be able to order other types of cannabis. Um, and there's some challenges there with you know, thinking of like age restrictions too, no requirements for age restrictions. Um, yeah. So there's a number of ways there that, you know, so, so a, you could be a teenage, like a 16 year old could go online and order this a hypothetically. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, and you know, for me with a background in tobacco regulation, that's a red flag when you have recently had big problems with an unregulated market, like we've had for e-cigarettes where you have brands like Juul that are almost exclusively being used by kids who predominantly bought, them, bought their products online. Um, so yeah, with unless there's like a, a system in place which we've put in place for tracking age, uh, verifying age um, for, for tobacco product purchases, um, it's, I don't, I don't, there's not a good reason why an adolescent wouldn't be able to get one of these products from some manufacturers if they keep trying. And it, you know, it's really punting the decision of what, what age should be legal to the manufacturer rather than deciding as a, as a commonwealth or group of people, what, what is an appropriate age to use these products? Um, which could be a good thing or but probably not a good thing. But I mean, I there mean could it's be obviously good. gonna be in the manufacturer's best interest to, to sell it to as many people as possible. So it could be, yeah. but I don't I don't wanna come out and say that there that all manufacturers are bad actors either. I think mm -hmm. there's probably a lot of good brands on the market 
that are making safe products. But the challenge is there's no way of ensuring that they're safe. And it, at least in terms of like testing requirements, the things that I was talking about before, it's just leaving it up to the, the goodwill of the manufacturer. Right, right. And you also mentioned at the beginning, which I would like to dive into a little bit more, that it really is a synthetic, like eventually the way that um, the Delta 8 is, is processed, um, it, it's essentially becomes a synthetic compound. So yes. I'm wondering, yeah, so could you talk about that a little bit? Because we, we glossed over, but I think that's really important because there's also different, usually, I, I mean, I think the reason why the public has eventually grown more and more comfortable with, with cannabis, but, but you, you know, obviously, and that's another conversation as well um, about regulating process, you know, processed, right. um, processed THC, even Delta 9, like when you, you know, when you take a plant and you process, you really deeply process it and create some of these um, you know, waxes and shatters and that we have on the market right now, mm -hmm. the, we don't necessarily have the research to show whether or not those products are safe. Um, but I, right. I'm wondering too, what your, your perspective on, you know, kind of this processing methodology, um, and the potential, yeah, the potential health risks of that. Yeah, I guess the, my main response is we don't really know yet. And, and we don't know, how different ways of performing the conversions differ in their health risks. Um, you know, when you're talking about extractions, there's, there's usually standard protocols that are methods of extraction that are compliant. And we don't have those yet for these conversion methods. Um, so it's, I'm hopeful that we'll, We'll, there'll be research on those conversions and and potentially we could have standard conversion methods um, because it, there is a potential economic value there by creating higher quantities of Delta-8 because there might be legitimate consumer interest in that moiety of THC instead of Delta-9 because, you know, it's a milder um, if from what we're seeing. So, but currently we don't know and it, it might be safe. It might not be. Um, some methods might be safe. Others might not be. Um, I, but I think we, yeah, we need, we need to study it mm -hmm. um, to determine if it's, if it's safe to use. Yeah. And another, another fact that figure that stood out to me was um, in the New York times article that referenced your work it said that National Poison Control Centers handled over 2,000 calls about Delta-8 between January 2021 and February 2022. Mm -hmm. So, so it, I'm wondering if you if you know if this traces back to kind of, um, you know, because it's your your previous comment, it's an unregulated in industry, so it's not it's not going um, under the testing requirements for contaminants that um, you know cannabis and the recreational and medical market is, or um, if that's, is that really just due to, to the lack of regulation or, or maybe this kind of synthetic processing or, or the processing methodology that they use to, to isolate this and extract it? I, I think it's mostly due to the lacking, lack of testing requirements. And what I imagine, I, I don't, that those poison center, uh, report, they don't, say why the person called in 
Um, but what I imagine is that most of them are scenarios like your friend at where it's someone got high for two days <laughs> and don't know what's going on. Um, and probably not that they were poisoned in terms of a contamination of the product. They were just had a bad couple of days because it was a way higher dose than they thought. Um, okay. And a lot of that, I mean, we've, we've seen that even for CBD products where, um, you know, there's a couple of studies in, in JAMA that talk about, or that they sampled CBD products on the market and tested, tested their consistency to the labeled dose. And almost all the products are off label or the they're mislabeled and some of the products say they don't have any THC and actually have a good amount of THC in it. Um, and I, what I imagine is that's, that's what most of these calls are, um, is people who are, um, overdosing on the THC. Okay. That makes so much sense because of course, I mean, given that it's unregulated, it's, you're not getting a consistent dose or it, it could be much more um, than a person is expecting or ready for. So Yeah, there's no way of knowing what you're actually taking, even if it's labeled mm -hmm. um, at this point. I mean, there might, there might be some, some brands that do better than others, but there's no way of really confirming that in a systematic way. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, looking forward, I mean, of course, now um, we have your research study and there's more knowledge coming out about, you know, the, the potential hazards of, of having this unregulated compound floating around. Um, and, and I'm wondering from a regulatory perspective, so then it seems like maybe the regulators will say, or, or what they said in um, Colorado, for instance, is like, okay, this is not, this cannot be regulated under hemp until we know more. Um, or they might, you know, forbid Delta eight sales um, mm -hmm. in total, or, or they might come up with more regulatory language around it now that there's this information and knowledge. But then, you know, the cannabis plant ha has so many compounds in it that are mm -hmm. maybe we know about, maybe we don't. So then do you think we're just going to kind of get into this like game of, um, you know, just this like continuous rabbit hole? Exactly. <laughs> where the manufacturers are a step ahead and they're just going to find the new compound and they're just going to, you know, they're just going to extract the hell out of it until it creates some sort of psychoactive effect. Yeah. Um, is this kind of where we're headed? And, and from a public health perspective, you know, how can we prevent this and how can we actually create um, regulations like that, 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 that protect people and keep people yeah. um, safe? We aren't, we aren't heading there. We're already there. There's there's Delta eight's not the only one on the market. There's lots of other ones like Delta 10 is another one in the THCs. There's hexahydrocannabinol or HHC, um, CBN is cannabinol. If you take enough of it, you can get a psychoactive effect. So there's already manufacturers producing these other things and others that I didn't just mention. Um, in my opinion, yeah, it couldn't become a whack-a-mole situation if you're just constantly updating your definitions of what constitutes what you're after. But there could also, I could also see a framework in which, you know, you clarify what the intent of hemp was to where 
you could say it's not intended for hemp to produce psychoactive products or or intoxicating products. So that could be one approach. Um, or to be more nimble about identifying products that are trying to skirt around the loopholes and be proactive about identifying those products. So yeah, I think it could continue to happen unless you take a broader approach or an active approach to addressing it. Um, if in fact a state wants to address it, I mean, I think some states at this point don't see a recreational system coming. So they kind of have taken a hands off just saying at least this market's better than an illicit market and they've kind of really? left it open. Um, yeah. So some states I think have taken that approach, which is understandable, but it doesn't really address you know, a lot of the concerns we've been talking about today. Um, so I feel like that's short-sighted um, from a public health perspective, um, but it's also kind of understandable um, why advocacy groups would want to do that approach. Yes, I think it's so complicated. And I um, I wrote an article many years ago um, that I'll, I'll tag in the show notes. But but essentially, I was I was I interviewed um, um, a, an activist, a hemp activist from the '90s. His name was Eric Streamstraw, I believe. Okay. And he was actually he was one of the main proponents for legalizing hemp. Um, mm -hmm. So he was in the '90s. He's going around to all these different senators and. Um, educating them and and he's really but he was very careful about the language like using hemp versus marijuana because of all of the stigma around it yeah. and and so it, so and he was very successful and in his mind he was really able to convince these these senators it's like no hemp is fiber hemp is used for paper and clothing and we can you know farmers can grow this and, and make so much you know do really well and it can be great for the state so he was able to get so many conservative um, yeah, senators on on board especially with especially when you say that people like George Washington grew it. <laughs> yes, yes. So I think it's it's so complex, and and I really you know I have so much respect for the people who who were trying to and are trying to to legalize hemp, and you know it can be used for so many of these these per these you know it it just has so many useful and beneficial effects. Yeah. But then it gets confusing because uh, you you know you have people who are really pushing to make hemp more more general and more um you, you, because of course i think a lot of people would love to just see cannabis in general legalized um on a federal level so it can be regulated more effectively but yes. because that just is, feels so prohibitive because it's just not been possible yet um i think there are a lot of people who have really good intentions um who are just kind of pushing for the definition of hemp to be as expansive as possible yep um, and then, you know, you have these, you have these side effects, you have these side effects. So I, I don't know, I guess kind of, this is a big, broad question, but yeah, it's kind of you... a philosophical question, right? That's, yeah. Is it the intention of hemp to be a psychoactive product? I, mm -hmm. That's the public health person in me says no. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, when we, the, or the legal definition 
at least I, I say the, I see the intent of that change in definitions as saying there are other uses of cannabis besides getting the psychoactive component of it besides getting high. Um, so it might be, there might be a place in which, you know, philosophically that aligns with some states definitions of hemp, um, that would, you know, be a more broad sweeping approach to addressing a question like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's so complicated and I'm sure so many people would have different opinions on this, but yeah, by, absolutely. But, but yeah, I mean, I think scientifically cannabis and hemp are, are the same plant. Um, mm -hmm. So when we, but of course there are very logical, there are very real reasons to regulate them, them separately. But but there just seems to be this this gray area, you know, and it started with it started with medicinal products. It started with these high CBD medicinal products at the beginning. People yeah. didn't know how to regulate them. And then right. finally those grew, those became acceptance. So yeah, I guess my, my question is like, yeah. where are we going and, and what's what is the most effective way to to regulate this? I I do feel like there has been more of an acceptance, but you know, I still have concerns with C the way that CBD is is gone out as well. Um, it's I think we think of it as more benign and in, in relative to Delta Eight, but you know, there's lots of manufacturing and advertising practices that I see as potentially pro problematic in that industry too. Um, you know, it's it is approved mm -hmm. by the FDA for a narrow range of applications. Um, you know, Epidiolex, which is a highly purified form of CBD. You can get a prescription for it for four types of childhood epilepsy, but the FDA has not approved any other use of CBD, medical use of CBD, but it doesn't, stop many manufacturers from claiming that it, it has many other benefits that it may end up having, but we haven't subjected it to, you know, the testing that we normally subject medicines to. Um, so we haven't confirmed it. Um, so to me, there, it's, I see it as an issue that we're allowing many manufacturers to claim that it, it's or to, to claim that it has these medical uses and you know advertise that it does without actually knowing definitively from a scientific standpoint um, if it does have those and if the product that they're marketing at the dose they're marketing is enough to have that effect if it ends up being the case that it does have that effect mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it, it is generally accepted more, um, but I also, yeah, like I just explained, have, have some, some reservations about the way that we're setting up the current system. Mm -hmm. So do you think CBD should be regulated more similarly toward, as like a pharmaceutical product or more similarly towards like how recreational and, and medical cannabis products are? I think that there might be an option for it to be 
regulated in a similar way that we regulate supplements, um, but with better enforcement of claim medical claims that are made about it. Um, you know, that we have a, we had this piece a couple of years ago where there was one brand that was claiming that it treated, you know, I think we counted like up to 34 different use applications and, you know, it's not approved for any of them, but they did a national marketing campaign on it. And, you know, it, to me, it, I just don't feel like it's fair to the public to market something as a, as a medical therapeutic for something you have no idea if it actually it is effective for those. When many of the conditions, you know, for anxiety and, um, you know, pain relief and things like that, we do have approved therapies for that have gone through rigorous testing for those to set up dosing guidelines and things like this. Um, so there's probably a scenario in which it could be like an over-the-counter product or a supplement. Um, and yeah, I think we can, we can get to a point where it's, where it's a safe over-the-counter product um, with some, you know, some, some limits on what manufacturers can do and say. Mm -hmm. And how does, how are supplements regulated? I don't actually know. Yeah, so the FDA has a division of at at there's multiple centers at the FDA, and there's one that um, is responsible for regulating supplements. Okay. So and what would that's, be that? There is talk about CBD kind of going that route, but it's not currently there yet. It's kind of in a, it's in this kind of gray market at this point too. Okay, so what would be your recommendations to consumers, and you know maybe even specifically consumers in these states where recreational cannabis is not accessible or available? Uh, what what would be your recommendations when kind of navigating this Delta Eight THC yeah. market? Yeah. I mean, the safest approach, in my opinion, is not to use products in the market because there's no way we can know with any confidence that you're getting what you think you're getting <laughs> in, the, in the product that you're buying. Right. Um, so that would be the safest approach. And if you don't want to go that route and you want to try be prepared for an afternoon like your friend had. I mean, that <laughs> wasn't an afternoon. Days. That was a 48 hour. Yeah, that was a 48 I, hour trip. So I mean, just that, that's just warning. the reality of, of the state of the market is there's no way of me saying that you won't have one of those two days. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, in my, in my view, I, I just don't think it's safe to use the products at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of regulating them, would your what what would be? I know we've we've kind of touched on this in a variety of different ways, but but what would be kind of your your main thesis on, on regulating this? Sure. A recommendation. Yeah, I think the way that Colorado has gotten about it has been a really helpful way, uh, which they have said that at this point in time, we don't know the safety of 
the conversion methods that we've been talking about for, for Delta-8. Um, but there may come a time where we know it's safe to do perform those conversion methods. So they're reserving that it's maybe possible to use those methods um, at some point. Um, but currently, because we don't know it's safe, we're disallowing the use of those conversion methods to produce products and sell them on the market. And they also uh, mentioned that, you know, if and when we determine they're safe, um, it's most likely that the products would be sold within the, the recreational system that's set up in place. Um, so that it would be treated similar to, to a Delta 9 product or any other cannabis product that you can purchase in that system. So okay. I, I feel like that's a public health first approach. It's okay. saying we, there's value in these methods. We see the value, but we're going to put the public's health, pub, put public health first and put a pause on it and say, let's figure out if it's safe and we can have a standard me method of doing this and then come back to it later. And I think Colorado is, you know, a particular example because there is this recreational market and it can be, um, it can be kind of filtered into that if if that makes sense. But yeah. what about for some of these states who, what about for some of these states who don't have cannabis markets and, and don't even have pending, you know, legislation? Mm -hmm. Would your recommend recommendation be that they ban it or? In my view, I don't see a way that you could reliably argue that it's not trying to achieve the same end goal that a Delta 9 product is trying to achieve. So I don't see why it should be treated differently than Delta 9 products. So yeah, I guess in those states, it would be work harder to pass a medical or recreational use system. Mm -hmm. And I wonder too, if this is something that needs to be addressed at the federal level. Like if this is, you know, if the farm bill needs to be updated to. Um... I think that there would be a lot less problems if there was, if it was addressed at the federal level. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and then looking forward, I know that you mentioned a few other um, a few other compounds that manufacturers are already experimenting with that can potentially create um, psychoactive effects. But but what what direction is your research going in, and what would you, yeah, what what's next for 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 you? What would you most like to learn about about cannabis and about the the public health, um, you know, public health interpretation of it? Sure. Yeah. So I at. I'm trained as an epidemiologist. I do behavioral research, tracking that in populations. Um, so for me, it's getting more information, reliable information and on how people are using them, these products and, and their experiences with the products. Um, and I have funding from the National Institute on Drug Abuse to look at how people are using CBD currently. Um, I have current funding on that and, um, you know, I hope, hope to continue to expand that line of research to understand 
other products in this market and you know provide representative information on the markets because um, we don't we don't really have another we don't have a national system for it at this point that's why i was using google queries at this point um, but i think we can do better than that and you know draw representative samples and allow people to voice voice their own concerns and opinions and surveys and other methods. So that's where I'm going with my research on this subject at this point. Oh, yeah, that sounds super interesting because I definitely see the value of this, um, the searches as a proxy. But of course, you know, the more information you can gather directly from people, the better. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, thank you so much for um, yeah, sharing your time and your research with us. And I'm so excited to share this with our listeners. Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. It will help other people find us. Cannabis Science Today is so generously supported by the Agricultural Genomics Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to educating the public on scientific research findings on cannabis. If you're interested in donating to this cause or sponsoring an episode of this podcast, where we research a scientific research question or theme of your choice, please contact us through agriculturalgenomics.org.